Well, good morning. We're excited to worship with you this morning, and we are starting a new series this week, and it's all about things that Jesus did not say. And so our set this morning is just focusing on Jesus and who he is. And so our prayer this morning is that you would just soak in these songs and that you would be able to enter into a place of worship wherever you are, if it's in your car, in your home, in your kitchen, in your bathroom, wherever you are, we just want you to be able to to feel the love that Jesus has for us. And so we are grateful that you're here with us and we can't wait to see you soon. Surprise, you are glorious, you are holy, holy, the heaven shout, you are worthy, you're worthy, and my soul cries out, you are holy, holy, the nations will shout. You are worthy, you're worthy. And at the sound of our praise, heavens will shake and the earth will the sound of our praise, the heavens will shake and the earth will move. Come on, church, won't you sing? And at the sound of our praise, the heavens will shake and the earth will move. And at the sound of our praise, the heavens 
heavens will shake and the earth will move. You are glorious. You are holy, holy. The heavens shout. You are worthy, so worthy. And my soul cries out. You are holy, holy. The nations will shout. For you are holy, worthy. Jesus, 
wonder I will say no other name but yours Oh name but yours Full of faith and wonder I will say no other name but yours Sing name but yours
morning from Redeemer's Church. Today is no ordinary Sunday morning. Today happens to be Mother's Day. So 
As I begin this morning, I just want to give a huge shout out not only to my mom and to my amazing wife, the mother of my children, but also to all of the moms that are tuning in this morning, as well as the moms who may tune in later. Hopefully your uh, husbands uh, are around and they are taking care of the kids so you can sleep in a little bit this morning. So happy Mother's Day to everybody that is on. As many of you already know this week, our leadership team has uh, delivered some gift bags to your house, to all of you amazing moms. And in that gift bag was not only communion for everybody, but specifically for all of you moms, we provided some chocolate for you. And as we were brainstorming, what can we give moms on Mother's Day just to show our love and our appreciation for all of them and all that they do? Uh, we decided on chocolate because I don't know about you, but I don't think you can go wrong with chocolate giving that as a gift. So uh, we hope that you enjoy it. Matter of fact, I hope right now that you are snacking on that chocolate as you are tuning into the message this morning. Now, as I move forward, I just want to uh, just say, you know, we had that gift and we wanted to give that to you just because we wanted you to know how incredible we believe that you are. Uh, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all of the unseen things that you do in your home that never get attention, never get thanks, never get noticed. Thank you for keeping your household together. Thank you for keeping your family units functioning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, want to say I don't think we could ever repay the moms in our lives for all of the things that they have done for us and that they continue to do for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, on a side note, if you're a man and you happy, happen to be married to a woman who has had children or you are the son of an amazing mother and you are happening to watch this right now um, and at this moment, you happen for the first time to realize that it is in fact Mother's Day. I want you to do yourself a favor and I want you to pause the video and I want you to go figure out something to do for the mother of your children as well as your amazing mother. May God have mercy on your soul today if at this moment you happen to realize for the first time that it is in fact Mother's Day. But nevertheless, I'm going to move on. You know, I was uh, uh, talking to my wife earlier uh, this week leading up to Mother's Day, and I just asked her, I said, I said, babe, I said, I don't know what to get you for Mother's Day. I am all fresh out of ideas. I don't know what to do with the kids. And she said, I know what you can do. And I said, babe, you name it, you got it. Now, I just want to stop for a moment and I just want to pause and I just want to let you know that if you're a man and you say, babe, whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. I just want you to understand that that is a dangerous statement to make. And so my wife said, I know what you can do. And I said, babe, what is it? And she said, for the entire day on Mother's Day, I want you to be Mr. Mom. So there it is. Right now, if you happen to be viewing this on Mother's Day, I want to let you know that I am experiencing what it is like for my wife every single day as the mother of my children. I am playing Mr. Mom today, and my wife is enjoying watching me uh, attempt to do that, although I will more than likely fail miserably at doing it. So, uh, <laughs> so please, if you could do this, do me a favor. If you could just like throw up a prayer for me that God's grace would be sufficient for me, I would greatly appreciate it. You know, 
Today is not only Mother's Day. Uh, today also happens to be the day that we decided that we are going to take communion together. As I've already said, so many of you have already received the implements of communion that we delivered, our, our leadership and eldership team delivered to your doorstep this week so that all of us could enjoy and participate in communion to get together. And we're going to be doing that at the end of the sermon. Uh, and so let's just go ahead and jump right into the sermon. This morning, I'm going to begin a two-week series called Things Jesus Never Said. Things Jesus Never Said. And, and I'm going to explain and break down what that means. But before we do, let's go ahead and just pray. Will you just bow your heads, close your eyes, wherever you are, join me in prayer. Jesus, we invite you into this moment. God, we thank you so much as always, for who you are in every trial, circumstance, situation that we are going through. God, I know that when we ask and we invite your Holy Spirit, your presence to be with us, God, you are not reserved in doing that. Father, you will, uh, Father, pour out your love and your presence uh, onto us wherever we are, God. So I just ask and invite the Holy Spirit to meet us where we are this morning. God, I pray for all of the moms today, God, that today would be a day of restoration. Today would be a rest, a day of rest, God. Today, Father, I pray they would be celebrated in their homes for how amazing and how incredible they truly are. Father, speak to us this morning, encourage us, inspire us, challenge us. I pray that we would grow this morning in and through this word. And Father, I pray in Jesus' mighty name that we would have football in the fall. Father, let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Matter of fact, I almost wore my OSU hoodie uh, just as a declaration of faith that we would see Ohio State play this fall. So we're in a new series called Things Jesus Never Said. And I have a question that I want to just start out with uh, this morning. Have you, has anyone ever said that you said something that you never really said? I'm gonna say it again because I know there's a lot in there, but I'm gonna ask you this question one more time. Has anyone ever said that you said something that you never really said? Another way of asking that same question is, have you ever had someone put words in your mouth that you never spoke? I can tell you that this happens a lot in our home with our oldest son, Gideon. Uh, Gideon, I believe, has just now, at nine years old, developed the skill of selective listening or selective hearing. And a lot of times, I cannot tell you how many times in one week that I will hear him come to my wife, Allison, specifically and say, but mom, you said dot, 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 to which my wife will reply to him, Gideon, I never said that. Have you ever had someone put words in your mouth that you never spoke? Has anyone ever said that you said something that you never really said? This tends to happen a lot in human relationships. And I don't know about you, but I absolutely hate being accused of saying something that I never really said. I, I, I don't like when other people put words in my mouth that I never spoke. You know, words matter to me. Words are important to me. And so I don't like being accused of saying something that I never said. And you know what's crazy is that often I believe the same thing happens with God. 
The same thing happens to Jesus. People can take a thought that they have about God, that they have about Jesus, that they have about how you approach God or, or the Christian faith. And what they can do is they can take that thought and it's not even based on scripture. It's a lie. It's a, a vain imagination. It's absolutely the voice of the enemy or the accuser. It's unrooted in truth based solely on experiences, not even on the word of God. And what they can do is they can attribute it as something that Jesus said, and he never said it. Matter of fact, in scripture, we see a Paul, uh, the apostle Paul addressing this in the book of Galatians in chapter one. Uh, the context is that what had happened here was that a group of false teachers that had come into Galatia after Paul had set up the church, and now they were taking the message of Jesus uh, that Paul had preached, and they were subtracting things, and they were adding things, and Paul addressed it in Galatians chapter one in verse six by saying this. He says, I am sh so shocked over how quickly you have strayed away from the anointed one who called you to himself by his loving mercy. I am frankly astounded, watch this, that you now embrace a distorted gospel. Now, what that implies is that the message that Paul had preached had now had things taken out of it and things added. And, and Paul's saying, this message that they're preaching, I never said that. Matter of fact, it's something Jesus himself never said. And so he goes on to say in verse seven, that is a fake gospel. That is simply not true. There's only one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Yet you have allowed those simple things, uh, the, the mingling of the law with grace to confuse you with lies. What was the problem? The problem was that these false teachers were coming in and teaching the church in Galatia things about God, things about Jesus, about how to approach God that neither Paul taught nor did Jesus ever say. Not only did this happen here, but we see this actually in an interaction with the disciples and Jesus himself. Going on to Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41, the context here is that the disciples are in a boat. Jesus is asleep and they are struggling because they're in the middle of a storm. And they finally get to the point that they're so overwhelmed by the storm that they go to Jesus and they wake him up. And in frustration and fear and panic, listen to what they say. They wake Jesus up and they say to him, Jesus, don't you even care that we are about to die? And what's implied here is that here's a situation that they are going through that has somehow got them to call into question who Jesus is and the things that he has said concerning his love for them and his ability to watch over them and protect them. And somehow this circumstance essentially in the minds of the disciples is putting words in Jesus's mouth that he has never said. And those words, the essence of those words I can imagine are this. You know, Jesus doesn't care about what's going to happen to us. Jesus doesn't even care if we're going to die out here in the middle of this storm. And so they come to Jesus and they say to him, Jesus, don't you even care that we're about to die? Now, if I was Jesus, which I am absolutely not, I probably would have responded to them after they accused me, Jesus, of not caring with something like this. Have I ever said anything? that would have expressed to you that I didn't care if you were going to die? 
See, what, what happened here was that, that they were struggling in their, their faith. They were struggling in their relationship with God in this circumstance in these situations were calling into question Jesus' care for them. And they began to believe that here Jesus doesn't care about what's going on. Now, this is so important for us to understand. Listen to me. You see, what we have to understand is that if we are not careful, we will give the enemy the liberty to use our circumstances and our situations to begin to distort and call into question what God has said about us in the hope of changing what we believe about him so that we can believe a deception about what he has said in his word. It's so important for us to understand that. This is nothing new. This has been his strategy since the beginning, going all the way back to the book of Genesis in the cha third chapter. Remember, uh, God gives Adam and Eve a very simple instruction. And then the serpent comes in chapter three and calls it into question. Why? Because he wants to dissect it. He wants to add things to what God said and subtract things to what God said to get them to believe a deception about what Jesus or God actually said. And he says this to them. He calls it into question. Did God really say that you aren't to eat from any tree in the garden? See, the accuser will use every opportunity and circumstance in you and I's life to try to fabricate an idea, plan it in your head so that he can deceive you to the point that you will believe things about Jesus and about God that God never said and Jesus never said. And matter of fact, they aren't even true. Can I tell you that half truths are never truths? And often that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to dissect an absolute truth and make it a half truth and get you to believe it. And it has no substance. It has no power because it's not the real truth. This is what the enemy does all the times. And the danger is that in these things, God can be, or this can happen. It can be so subtle to enter into our belief and how we approach God. And so in this two week series, I want to target a couple of common ideas that we can tend to believe about God, about Jesus, and about how we approach God that Jesus clearly never said. And so the first idea I want to address is this. It's a phrase, and this is what it is. I want to address this. I want to target it. Before you ever come to God, you have to get your life right. I'm going to say it again. Here's another way of saying it. Before you ever come to God, you have to get yourself together. I'm going to say it again. Before you ever come to God, you got to get yourself right. You got to fix your relationship with God. You are wrong. You are, in the, uh, you are in the place where you have to make it right. You got to get yourself right. Have you ever thought that? Has that idea ever affected the way that you approach God? I think that if we were all honest, if we were to take a look at our lives that that may actually affect the way we approach God more than we realize. Several years ago, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I had a normal Wednesday night. And on this Wednesday night, we had a special guest student. And he happened to be the cousin of uh, one of the students who regularly attended our youth ministry. And so after the message, I went up to him and I just wanted to see how he was doing. I wanted to thank him for coming and just talk to him and see how he was processing what he heard and it eventually got to the point where I just asked him, I said, you know, have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ? And he said, no. And 
Then I explained what that really meant a little bit to him. And then I asked him if he would like to give his life to Jesus Christ that night. And I remember he hesitated for a moment. And I remember he said this. He said, I don't think I can do that tonight. And I said to him, why not? And he said, I, I just I just can't. And I said, well, what's holding you back? Now, I was asking that not because I was trying to be pushy, but I was genuinely curious what was causing him to stumble, what was causing him to be resistant to this amazing message of Jesus, what was holding him back from giving his life to Jesus. And I'll never forget what he said to me next. He said this, he said, before I come to God, I got to get my life right. And I I remember just sitting there for a moment because honestly, that's a common response that a lot of people say. But I remember sitting there for a moment and thinking to myself about what he had just said, this phrase, before I come to God, I got to get my life right. And I remember responding to him. and I said, hey, man, do you know that Jesus never said that you have to get your life right first? before you come to him? How many of you know that that is something that Jesus never said? Jesus never said that we have to get our lives right before we come to him. I mean, isn't that the reason that Jesus, the son of God, came to humanity in the first place? Isn't that the reason he came? Was because we couldn't get ourselves together? Sadly, what happened in this young man's lives is that somewhere along the line, somehow, He had come to the conclusion that whether it be people in his life or through situations and circumstances, that in order for him to come to Jesus, he had to get his life right first before he would ever come to God. And that to come to Jesus was solely his responsibility to fix himself, to get himself together before he could ever come to God. And I think that in and of itself is such a huge hurdle for so many people out there that don't believe necessarily in Jesus or have embraced them as his uh, embraced him as his, their personal savior. There's so many people that believe that they have to be perfect first before they ever are accepted by God. And scripture doesn't say that. Let me remind you of one of the most famous passages of scripture in all of the Bible, John chapter three, verses 16 and 17 in the Passion Translation. It says this, for this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience eternal life. Now, this is where it gets good for me because so many times we read verse 16 without reading verse 17. Verse 17 goes on to say this. Jesus said this. He said, God did not send his son. He was talking about himself into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. And if you're watching that this this morning and you believe that to come to God, you have to get yourself together. You have to fix yourself. You have to be perfect first. You got to get it all together. Make yourself right. Then I want to encourage you this morning. That is not true. There's nothing further from the truth than that belief, that lie that Jesus, you know, can't do what you can't, what you could do, or you can't do yourself. Listen, Jesus came to us, not because we were perfect, but because we were imperfect. You and I, we were imperfect and there was nothing we could do in and of ourselves to be able to get right before God. 
It's only because of Jesus, his death and his resurrection that we are even provided with the opportunity to approach God. Matter of fact, much of scripture speaks in opposition to this very idea because scripture says this, that we can never get, this is the the main point today. We can never get right. We have to be made right. We can never get right. We have to be made right. What that speaks of is the idea of becoming righteous before God. Listen to me this morning. To get our lives right so that we can come before God, that requires that we first become righteous. And to become righteous, we have to be made righteous. It's not something we can earn or we can do ourselves. We have to be made righteous because we can't make ourselves right. Listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, He, God, made him Jesus, the one who knew no sin to be sin or become sin on you and I's behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God through Jesus. Another way of saying the end of that verse is this, so that we might become righteous... Before God, through Jesus, Jesus never said, get yourself right and then come to God. What scripture does say is that it was God's heart to make a way for us to become right before him. And that way was through his glorious son coming to the earth, living a perfect, sinless, spotless existence, and then dying on our, in our place on a cross that we deserve so that we can be given the righteousness of God that we could never get on our own. This is how we are made right before God. That is some good news. Romans 5, 19 goes on to say it this way. It was through the obedience of the one, that one is Jesus, that the many are made righteous. Jesus never said, get yourself right and then come to God. Now, some of you may be thinking, I can see how that may, uh, you know, uh, change the minds of people who don't believe in Jesus or don't know Jesus. And uh, it can change their understanding that they don't have to be perfect to, to come to God. They don't have to get their lives right before they first come to him, but they're made right through what Jesus did on the cross. But what about me? What about the believer who already knows that? I believe in Jesus. So, so what does that have to do with me? Well, let me ask you this question. Because there's a difference between knowing a truth and walking in it. There is a difference between knowing scripture and applying it in your life and walking in faith in it. See, what do you, here's my question. What do you personally do when you have what I like to call a bad Christian day? What do you do when you have a terrible Christian day? day or a terrible Christian moment in your life where you relapse to your old nature. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, The type of day where you question whether or not you are saved. The type of day where you can't seem to do anything right. Your flesh is getting the best of you. Uh, You don't even like yourself. You know that if people were to watch and observe your life on that day and they were to try to, they were to uh, see in your life what it looks like to be a Christian, you know on those days that you would be the poorest misrepresentation of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I'm talking about those days. What What do you personally do when you have a day like that? 
Do you find it easy on those days to rest in the truth in those moments of your life that your righteousness before God has less to do with your efforts and your performance than it does with your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who makes you righteous before God? Can I tell you that on my worst days, I find myself struggling with this belief. I, 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 uh, I, I tend to be a perfectionist as far as the expectations that I hold about myself. And I, I like to have my life in order and I like to do everything perfectly. And I fall short of that every single day. And honestly, it gets under my skin and it drives me nuts. And a lot of times I struggle in my relationship with God if I make a mistake, if God uh, changes the way he, he looks at me or his love towards me is something that I can earn in my behavior. And can I tell you on my worst days, I struggle with this, that I don't need to get, I struggle with this idea that I don't need to get myself right before I can come to God. I struggle with feeling like I need to do something. Does anyone out there feel like this? I struggle with this feeling I need to do something to make myself right, that I need to fix it all on my own, that I need to make it up to God somehow. A lot of times I find myself slipping into this behavior where I'll have a bad day and, and I'll shy away from approaching God saying, God, I'm sorry, will you just forgive me? Because what I want is, instead of doing that, I, 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 wanna, I wanna actually follow it up with a really good day. And I slip into this sick cycle of having bad Christian days and then these good days where my behavior is good. And somehow I believe this deception, this lie that my right standing before God has more to do with my performance and my self-effort than it has to do with the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And because I don't believe that God is, you know, a lot of times I fail to believe that God is uh, not going to be pleased with me if I have a bad day. I don't know about you, but this is a real battle for me. As a matter of fact, this is where I believe that a lot of Christians live out their relationship with God. When we're having a great Christian day, adversely to the terrible days. We're having these great Christian days. We're exhibiting the fruits of the spirit. We're patient with our kids. We're loving people well. We've read our Bible. We've worshiped. We've prayed. We've crossed all of our spiritual uh, uh, T's and dotted all of our spiritual I's. In those days, I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me to believe that my relationship with God is really good. Why? It's because am I resting in the truth that we're made righteous before God or by my works. My works are making me feel like I'm in a good place with God. See, this is a lot of times where we struggle. This is a lot of times where we are. I think the truth is that on our best Christian days, the reason why we don't question that we're on good terms in our relationship with Jesus is because we know where we have trust and confidence in our performance, performance in our behavior to be right before God. And it's often in these times that I have to remind myself of what I'm gonna remind you of. Scripture says in Isaiah 64, six, that our righteousness is filthy rags. See, Jesus never said it's about our righteousness, it's about his righteousness. And that the only way that I'm made right before God is not by my self-effort and better attempts to be righteous before God. Paul actually addressed this attitude in the book of Philippians in the third chapter. He urges us not to put our confidence in the flesh, 
in our fleshly attempts to strive, to work, and to earn righteousness before God. According to Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 9 in the New International Translation or Version, it says this, For it is we who are the circumcision, who uh, we who serve God in the Spirit, who boast in Christ, and listen, who put no confidence in our flesh, Though I myself, this is Paul speaking, though I myself have many reasons for such confidence and someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. What is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about the idea that if there is anyone in all of Israel that could feel justified, that their self-effort and behavior could make them righteous before God, it was Paul, but Paul knew different. Paul knew that his efforts alone did not make him righteous before God. It was Jesus alone who makes him righteous. He goes on to say this. He says, though I myself have many reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes on to say, I was circumcised in verse five on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to uh, the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, uh, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. In verse nine, and be found in him. Now listen to me, because this is where it gets so good. Not having a righteousness, it goes on to say in verse nine, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Jesus never said that you and I have to get our lives right on our own first before we ever come to God because we cannot make ourselves right. We had to be made right. And Jesus alone is the one who makes us right. And it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that we are given the righteousness that makes us right before God. Are you getting it? Are you understanding that there is nothing we can do outside of what Jesus has already done to get ourselves right before him? So I want to end with a passage of scripture that I believe illustrates the heart of the God in our worst moments. We're gonna spend a little bit of time here and then we're gonna take communion. But uh, I believe that God wants us to understand that our feelings of being unworthy should never be the reason why we resist coming to him. So many times we feel shame and guilt and condemnation and that is what keeps us away from God. And I'm telling you, nothing is further from the truth. See, we have to be willing to go to God even when we feel shame, even when we feel guilty, even when we feel condemned. I'm telling you, there's a scripture in 3 John that says, even when your heart condemns you, it's good news. God is greater than your heart. Even when you feel bound by that condemnation and you want to say, I, I got I to gotta earn I got to earn my way back. I got to do something to get back into God's graces. I'm telling you, nothing is further than the truth. You do not have to do any, anything 
but come to God and trust in Jesus's finished work to fulfill all of the righteous requirements by God on your behalf and on my behalf. We are only given that righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to end with a scripture, Luke chapter 15. And this story is verses 11 through 24. We're only going to focus in on the end side of that. But let me kind of give you a little bit of background. This is a parable that we're about to read. And Jesus uh, shares three stories back to back in Luke chapter 15. And there's a reason why he's sharing these stories. He's, he's sharing these stories to illustrate the love of God for people. And he's sharing these stories because at this point, if you look at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, he is surrounded by tax collectors. And literally, the Passion Translation says, notorious sinners. And the Jewish religious leaders are around and they're seeing all these people that are hanging out with Jesus and they're complaining about them. And the Jewish religious leaders did not understand how Jesus could welcome people who were clearly in the wrong. Watch this, the religious leaders are wondering, how can Jesus hang out with people who are clearly not right or righteous in their relationship with God? And so to answer their questions, Jesus shares three stories. One of those stories is about a son, and he is described as a prodigal son. Now, this word prodigal is a fitting adjective to describe the behavior of the son because the word prodigal is a word that describes one who spends money in a reckless and foolish way. And so as the story goes, the son asks his father for an inheritance prematurely. Now, as you know, inheritance is often given uh, after someone dies. But in this particular story, this son has requested his inheritance from his father before he passes away. Now, culturally, that was absolutely disrespectful to ask for the inheritance before his father died. It was it was a no, no. It was a cultural taboo to do that in this time. It was considered offensive to do that. Now, it's one thing if this son wanted this inheritance for something that warranted a need. But in this case, this son just wanted to squander it. We find out that is exactly what he did. The son receives the inheritance from the father. And in verse 13, it says that the son spends all of his inheritance on extravagant and wasteful living. As the story continues, uh, the, the son wastes all of his money and he's so poor that he finds a job working for a farmer feeding pigs. Now, in Jewish culture, Jewish culture, that was the epitome of hitting rock bottom. It was distasteful for a Jewish person to work with pigs. And so this is rock bottom. Jesus is trying to communicate and illustrate this to uh, the people that are listening to him. This young prodigal son has hit rock bottom. He's in a pigsty feeding and working with pigs and uh, he's humiliated. And he finally comes to the point where he uh, says, maybe I can go home to my father and be back in his house. Now, the son feels this need and how can he make his right, his relationship right with his father? Because he knew that he had done so much wrong. How can this son get back into his father's eyes, house? What can he do? How can he earn his way back in? And so he begins to think, maybe if I come back and I ask my dad to be a servant in the house, then maybe just maybe through my self-effort and my work, 
I will be able to get my father and convince my father to welcome me back in the home. Because at this point, he feels so unworthy and undeserving in his relationship with his father. Listen to me, just like us, the son feels like he has to make his, his self right with his father. And I want you to see in this passage of scripture, the reaction that the father has to his own son, because I believe in our worst moments, this is where we can see how the father reacts to us. Listen to me, Jesus, once again, Jesus never said that we have to get ourselves right to come to him. And so here in verse 20 of Luke chapter 15, we pick up and says, so the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So listen to this. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms. He hugged him dearly and he kissed him over and over with tender love. Can I tell you, when you are in your worst moment, whether you be an unbeliever or a believer and you're feeling guilty and condemned and shamed and you're having a terrible Christian day and you're you're feeling this pressure. How, how can I come to God unless I get myself right? I'm telling you that Father God is standing at a distance and he is looking and he's waiting for you to come. He's waiting. He's, he's pleading. He wants you to come back. He doesn't care about what you've done. Remember in, in Genesis when Adam and Eve failed and they sinned, they clothed themselves and they hid. And the first thing out of God's mouth was not, what have you done? It was, where are you? I'm telling you, in your worst days, God is saying the same thing. He is saying, where are you? He is not concerned about what you've done. He wants you to come back to him. And so in verse 21, the, then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against, sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. He says, just let me. And in that moment, the father interrupts him. He shuts him down. See, what had happened is on this long way back, this son was trying to craft the right words to say, the right speech to give his father to convince him and to influence him to get back in his good graces. And the father wanted none of it. He shut him down mid-sentence. And it goes on to say, the father interrupted him and said, son, you're home now. I want you to see something here. The son wanted to earn his way back into his father's house with good graces. He wanted to fix it. But we cannot control the massive amount of grace that God has for you and I. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe which represents righteousness, the very own robe. And I will, my very own robe, and I will place it upon your shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate for this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he is alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Listen to me this morning. In your worst 
day as a follower of Jesus, when you feel like you've got to get yourself right before you ever come to God, when you feel unworthy of God's grace again, listen to me, when you feel like you have to fix yourself, you have to make things right before you have to get yourself together. I want to remember how, I want you to remember how the father in this story reacted to the son, because that is how Jesus reacts to us when we come to him. Even when we feel like we have nothing to offer and nothing to give because we cannot make ourselves right. We are made right with God through faith in what Jesus has already done. Jesus never said, get yourself right and then come to me. I want you to notice how the father ran after the son when he saw that the son was coming to him. Jesus doesn't want you to make yourself right before you come to him. He just wants you to come as you are and place your trust and faith in him so that the righteousness that he has becomes your own. I want you to, I want to remind you of Philippians chapter three, verse nine. Once again, what Paul said, he said this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God solely based on faith. John Piper writes this on that scripture. He says this, he says, the righteousness of this scripture is Christ's righteousness. I do not have a righteousness that commends me to God. The righteousness of God is transferred to me through Christ. Christ fulfilled all righteousness perfectly. And then that is the righteousness that was reckoned to become mine. When I trusted in him, God looks on Christ's perfect righteousness and listen to this. God looks on Christ's perfect righteousness and he declares me to be righteous with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus never said that we have to get ourselves right before we ever come to him. What scripture says is that we are made right with God through our faith in Jesus Christ, the fulfiller of all of God's righteousness. That is good news. As I close, I want to encourage you this morning that in your worst days, no matter what you have done, you can come to Jesus. And can I tell you that, that the religious part of us that wants our relationship with God on our own terms is going to re feel really uncomfortable coming to God, even when we feel shame, even when we feel guilty, even when we feel condemned. Remind, I want to remind you of, of 3 John, even when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Romans says, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God condemned Jesus to the cross. You are no longer condemned when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to make it right. Simply repent and turn to him and trust that he is uh, he, that it is he that makes you and I right, not ourselves. If you are out there, and you have never given your life to Jesus, I want you to, I want to give you the opportunity right, right now to give your life to Jesus. The Bible makes it cl so clear that if you acknowledge that you are in need of the saving, forgiving, redeeming grace of God, 
which was afforded to us through Jesus' death and resurrection, and you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, that he came to earth and lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life, that he died on a cross for you and I as our substitute, and that the forgiveness of sins was given to us as well as eternal life through our faith in him as he died. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life, the Bible says this. It says you will be saved. So today as we close, wherever you are, if that's you and you would say today I want, uh, that you want to give your life to Jesus, I wanna, uh, that you want to make the choice today to believe in this Jesus that I've been talking about, I, that you want to enter into a relationship with him, that I just want you to bow your head, close your eyes wherever you are, and I'm going to pray for you at this moment because I can tell you God sees your heart. God knows where you are. And so I'm just going to pray, Jesus, you see so many of us today that uh, want to make you our Lord and Savior. So God, uh, we're all in need of your saving grace. God, I thank you that you died for all of us and that when we turn to you and we place our faith in you, that we are given access to forgiveness for our sin that we so desperately need. When we believe in you, God, we are granted eternal life when we die. God, for those of us that say yes to you today, I pray that there would be a tran tangible transformation of our hearts, God, that we would feel different, that we would begin to experience our souls being renewed, that we would know what it is to be born again. God, we know that we are in need of forgiveness. We believe that you are who you said you are in Jesus right now. Out loud, we confess that Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior. And it is in your mighty name that we ask for your saving grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, would you do us a favor? Would you message us on Facebook at our Redeemer's Church page? We wanna uh, hear from you and get to know you. For those of you who do believe in Jesus, I pray that this message was encouraging to you. I pray that it dismantled the lie that we could believe about our relationship with God, that we have to get ourselves right first before we would ever come back to him. I pray that you would experience freedom today, that you would rest from your own efforts to get yourself right and that you would trust in the righteousness that is given to us in faith in Jesus. With that being said, I want to take communion with you all. Luke chapter 22 Verses 14 through 22 is such a familiar passage of, of a scripture in regards to communion. And I'm going to read it in verse 14. It says, when Jesus arrived at the upper room, he took his place at the table along with all of the apostles. Then he told them, I have longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my sufferings. I promise you that the next time we eat this, we will be together in the banquet of God's kingdom realm. Then he lifted up, lifted up the loaf for the bread. And after praying a prayer of thanksgiving to God, he gave each of his apostles a piece of bread saying, this loaf or this bread is my body, which is now being offered to you. Always eat it to remember me. Before we take and eat that which represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us, I just want to give you a moment with God all on your own. What I want to do is I just want to encourage you to remember. Communion is all about remembering him. I just want to, want to give you a moment to remember all that God has done for you personally 
and to thank him for all of the benefits that we receive through faith in him. And so I'm gonna give you that moment now. And after we pause for a moment, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna take the implements of communion. So just do that right now. Thank you, Jesus. You just join me in prayer. God, I thank you, specifically in regards to the message that I spoke this morning. God, I thank you that when there was nothing I could do on my own to make myself right and righteous before you, that you came to give me the righteousness that I could not earn. Take in the, that which represents the body of Christ. verse 20, after supper was over, he lifted the cup again and said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant I make with you, and it will be poured out soon for all of you. When I was reading this passage of scripture, I was just reminded of the gracious gift of God that he uh, shed his blood on our behalf. And it reminded me of Ephesians chapter two. And will you just join, uh, join me as I pray through this? God, I thank you for what Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and 10 says, for it was only through your wonderful grace that we believe in you. Nothing we have done or could do could ever earn our salvation. It was the gracious gift of God that brought us to Christ. So no one, none of us will ever be able to boast for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. God, I thank you that it is by grace that we are saved. It is a gift of God and not of ourselves that no one can boast. God, I honor you and I remember you, Father, as I take communion this morning. Take and drink that which represents the blood of Jesus, poured out for all mankind. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I pray that God will bless you and keep you and that his face would shine upon you. May his face be gracious toward you and may the Lord lift up your countenance and give you peace. Join us next week for part two of this mini series, Things Jesus Never Said. Thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful day and God bless you.